So I want to start out by um, kind of throwing some questions out there that I think most of us have asked at different times in our life. Why is this happening? Does God love me? Where is God in this situation? I'm following God. I'm trying to follow his commandments. Um, Why would he allow this to happen? Did I do something wrong? You know, has God kind of turned away from me? I think we have all asked questions like that when we are going through uh, tough times in our life. And I think there's a very common misunderstanding uh, that most people of faith walk through. I know I have many times. And it's the idea that knowing God, following Christ, seeking to honor him with our lives means that our life should always feel good and peaceful and kind of everything should be going up and to the right and just be getting sort of easier. Um, now, of course, in some fundamental ways, knowing Christ does bring a, a sense of peace in our life and a sense of purpose. But, but here's the problem. Here's the danger if we operate in this misunderstanding is if we think peace and stability in our life is evidence of God's love and presence in our life, we also believe the reverse is true. That a lack of peace and stability in our life is evidence of God's absence or his love for us, which, of course, is not true. Um, There are countless examples from Scripture and from the history of the church of God calling people to things that honored him, advanced the gospel, served others, made an eternal impact, but were very Painful, uncertain, disorienting, and stressful to the people following God's leading. In fact, I would challenge you to find like a hero of the faith um, who had it easy in Scripture and in the history of the church. Uh, I don't think you're going to find them because the reason that they tend to be sort of heroes of the faith is because they trusted God through adversity, whatever that adversity might have been. You see, God does not promise that our life will always be easy or be pain-free, though sometimes we misunderstand that and think that he has promised that. And that's what causes pain and confusion. What he does promise us is his love and his presence with us now and also the hope of a pain-free eternal life with him. But here's the, the truth of the matter is our response to challenges in this life, our response to pain in this life, reveals what we really think of God. If when we struggle, we assume God is distant or he's unloving or he's uninvolved and we begin to resent him, that shows that what we've done is we have tied God's character and personality to our changing circumstances. So in the peaks and valleys of life, when things are going well, God loves me and he's present. When things aren't going well, God doesn't love me. Where is he? And what we have to try to do is untangle those. We have to try to untangle our ideas of God's character and the changing circumstances of our life. It's not easy to do. And I will say, this time of year, it's very hard to do. Because think about the holiday messaging that we are bombarded with in our culture that started, I don't know, right after Labor Day. It goes on forever now. Um, (laughs) uh, Christmas messaging at Halloween, I don't know. The messaging that we were bombarded with is, you know, everything's 
warm and cozy and magical and carefree. And, and life's just sort of meant to be that way. And when our life circumstances, when we have a disconnect from that, from that kind of idealistic messaging, it can amplify our feelings of confusion because we think to ourselves, it's not supposed to be this way. You know, God loves me like I love him. Like, why is life hard? It's not supposed to be this way. That's kind of something that I think we feel a lot. It's kind of simmering under the surface. It's not supposed to be this way. And you know what God says to that? He says, you're right. It isn't supposed to be this way. Because he created a world that didn't have pain and confusion and stress and all these things in it and sin. And that was the whole purpose of sending Jesus was to begin to rebuild and restore and repair what had been lost. Um, Jesus, uh, toward the end of his earthly ministry, was having this long conversation with his disciples about a variety of things. Um, he was about to be arrested, and he said this statement in John 16. I want to just look briefly at it, just one verse. Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, Jesus is telling us life won't always be easy. But rest assured, I am with you and I've written the end to this story and it's a good ending. And so our changing circumstances in life don't affect who God is and his character and what our eternal hope is in Christ. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to wrap up this series we've been in uh, called Coming Home Uh, We've been looking at the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, and we're going to see in Nehemiah this wonderful example of what it looks like to cling to God's unchanging character in the midst of painful uncertainty. And I think God's going to speak to all of us as we look. So turn with me uh, to Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. It's in the Old Testament right after Ezra. Nehemiah 2. Who's read Nehemiah any time in the last year? Who wants some bonus points? Nobody. Oh, man, I'm glad we're doing this series. I'm just kidding. It's definitely uh, Ezra and Nehemiah are kind of some of the overlooked books in the Old Testament, but they're so rich. And so I'm excited to look at this with you today. Uh, just a qu- quick background on, on what this is about. Um, people of Israel had, for generations, abandoned the Lord. They had worshipped idols. They had, had um, just walked away from him. And the Lord allowed them to be defeated militarily and exiled to Babylon. Um, And then decades later, the Lord, as he had promised, says, I'm going to allow you to come back into the promised land and we're going to rebuild our relationship here. And Ezra and Nehemiah were two of the leaders of Israel that kind of helped that happen. And so Nehemiah, uh, his job is, is he's going back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls of the city. Because decades earlier, when the Babylonians came, King Nebuchadnezzar, they destroyed Jerusalem. I mean, destroyed it. It was rubble. And uh, so now the people of Israel are going back to Jerusalem, but it's just a pile of debris, basically. And Nehemiah is the person who's going to lead the effort to rebuild the walls. Now, God had called him to this task to rebuild the walls. And God had moved the heart of the Persian emperor, who was ruling over the known world at the time, to allow Nehemiah to go back and even to fund the rebuilding. So God was all over this. But as we're going to see, just because God sent Nehemiah for this task does not mean it was going to be easy. 
There's hope and comfort to be found, though, even in turmoil. And we're going to see uh, in this story how that looks. So let's start in verse 17, Nehemiah 2:17. Nehemiah is speaking. He says this, Then I said to them, that's his fellow Israelites, You see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. So what's happening here is Nehemiah had just recently come back to the city. He'd never been there. And he sort of toured the city for the first time and just saw it is in disrepair, it is vulnerable, and he kind of rallies some of his people and he says, look, God is with me, he sent me here, the king sent me with even funding for this, like, let's begin these repairs. And the people say, yeah, let's do it. Like, let's start rebuilding the walls. And they're going to begin to restore their community. Let's keep reading, verse 19. But... When Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. So here's what's going on. These three people, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, they represent non-Israelite power structures that took place when the Israelites were in exile. So the Israelites had been kicked out of the promised land. They're in Babylon. In the meantime, these other people started to take leadership of the promised land, and and they weren't uh, Israelites. Uh, Two of these are Persian administrators. One's a local monarch. And suffice it to say, they're not happy that the Jews are coming back to move back into Jerusalem. They don't want them there. And Nehemiah tells us what they did. If you're taking notes, I would highlight this. They mocked and ridiculed us. They mocked them. Good luck. Have fun with that. They're making fun of the Jews as they're trying to rebuild their broken city. Now, Nehemiah's response was not to fight back or to, you know, mock them, but to point to God. Look what he said. Highlight this. Uh, The God of heaven will give us success. Now just think for a moment about the emotional landscape that Nehemiah is in. He is devastated about the ruins of Jerusalem, his city. Uh, He's stressed out, undoubtedly, about the work that has to be done. Now, on top of all that, they're being threatened and mocked and ridiculed. Now, God's call on Nehemiah's life was clear. He was meant to go do this, to rebuild these walls. God's hand was all over the situation, but it was still very difficult. I mean, sometimes God leads us into things that are very important and meaningful. And when that happens, a couple things occur. First, Satan opposes us and lies to us, as he constantly does. And also, we just feel the burden of it. We feel the weight of it. We start to doubt ourselves. And when this happens, it shouldn't surprise us. And we shouldn't take it as evidence that God is absent. We shouldn't wonder if God loves us. As Jesus said, we should expect some valleys in life. We should follow Nehemiah's example and remember who God is in those moments and his trustworthy character. Flip over to chapter 4. We're going to keep reading this story. Uh, This is when Nehemiah begins to rebuild despite this opposition. So Nehemiah 4, starting in verse 1. 
When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? You see, as the wall was rising that they were building, uh, so was the mockery rising and the ridicule. And and they asked this very interesting question. uh, Can they bring the stones back to life? This is a very uh, public and persistent discouragement that Nehemiah and the Jews working with him were experiencing. Remember, they're doing what God called them to do, and they're going through this. Let's keep reading. Skip down to verse 6. He says, So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. So uh, in spite of the waves of ridicule and now even military threats on top of it, They're continuing to build. They're just continuing to build this. And look what their response was, again, to the ridicule. We prayed to our God. We prayed to our God. You see, despite all the ridicule and all of the frustrations and struggle that they're going through, they they don't believe God has gone anywhere. You know, they're turning toward him in their time of trouble, not away. And that that is what we are meant to do as well. You know, whatever wall you feel like you're building in your life, whatever opposition you feel you are experiencing, we're meant to follow this example of turning toward the Lord, praying, reminding ourselves of who He is. Let's keep reading. Verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, so these are the Israelites, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. So, they're tired. You know, their morale is low. Um, This strikes me as a very human moment reading this, you know. Look at what they say. They say there's so much rubble. They they feel like they're being attacked on all sides, even though they're doing what God called them to do. And they're, they're scared. Look, they say they will attack us. They were afraid and they were discouraged. You ever feel that way? You know, maybe you're not building a literal wall, but you're trying to rebuild a relationship. Um. And you're being ridiculed for it. You're trying to forgive someone. And you're being treated like you're doing something wrong. Um, Or you're trying to navigate a difficult situation at work. Or you're at odds with a family member. Maybe this past week, over Thanksgiving, you came face to face with some rubble in your life. And you look around and you just see it. Emotional rubble, 
relationship debris, personal wreckage. You feel like wherever you turn, you'll be attacked, criticized. You're criticizing yourself. In the next few verses, we're going to see Nehemiah's leadership and why God chose him for this task. And he's going to show us the way to navigate these situations when we feel this way. Let's keep reading. Verse 13. Nehemiah says, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. You see, Nehemiah told his people what we need to hear. Highlight this amazing phrase. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. He is saying when you feel afraid, don't just turn inward to yourself. Don't bow down to fear. Don't turn away from God. Turn toward God and remember him. Remember his love for you. Remember his faithfulness, his strength. Remind yourself of his character. And God is at work. I mean, he says that, you know, God has led them through this threat. Look how God des- or how Nehemiah describes what happened in verse 15. God had frustrated it. So, you know, they were sort of making it through this situation. And Nehemiah wasn't like, well, I'm just a genius and I'm figuring this out. He's saying, no, God is at work here, even though things are hard. And he has frustrated this plot against us. I mean, think about Nehemiah's leadership. It's this amazing example. They're being mocked. They're being physically threatened. He's not arguing back. He's not attacking them. He's not bowing down to fear. He's vigilantly leading himself and his people into prayer and remembering who God is. And it's a model for how we should think and act in times of trouble. Remember who God is. And pray, he is at work in ways you cannot imagine. Let's keep reading. Verse 16. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. I mean, what a picture. You know, these, these Jewish construction workers, you know, armed to defend themselves. They've got a hammer in one hand and a sword in another. And, and even though it was wise to do that, to arm themselves, look how Nehemiah describes where the real strength comes. He says, our God will fight for us. Not, we're awesome warriors and we're going to defend ourselves. We're going to trust that God is going to lead us through this. They're not on their own. God is leading them. And that is true of us as well. Whatever we are afraid of, whatever threat we feel like we're facing, God is with us. Now, I want to skip to chapter 6. We're going to look at just two verses. This is the end of this chapter of Nehemiah's story. So I want to end here. 
Nehemiah 6, starting in verse 15. So this is kind of the epilogue to this part of the story. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Who's afraid now, right? He tells us. All the surrounding nations were afraid. These are the people who'd been mocking them, threatening them, trying to thwart their plans. And why were they afraid? Not because Nehemiah and the other Jews were threatening them or trying to you know, act stronger. They were afraid because they had seen God work in spite of a very difficult situation. They were afraid, in Nehemiah's words, because this work had been done with the help of our God. It was God's presence with the Jews in this time that caused the other nations to, to feel some fear because they realized they weren't just fighting against these these Jews who were rebuilding their city. They were actually fighting against the living God. I think there's so many lessons for us in this story. Um, I, it, you know, every couple of verses we could pull out a life lesson. I mean, just a few um, that are pretty obvious. It, it, it said that this all happened in only 52 days. So I think a lesson for us there is the struggles we face are not going to last forever. You know, we can trust that the Lord sees an end to whatever we're going through. So that's a lesson. I think another lesson is we are not our best defenders. The Lord is our best defender. And that's what Nehemiah kept saying. He didn't stoop to mocking back or threatening. He pointed instead to God. But there's kind of one big overarching point I want us to walk away with from what we just read, this episode in, in, in history in Nehemiah's life. Um, I'm going to put it up on the, here on the screen. God loves you, and he is with you. Don't be afraid. God loves you, and he is with you. Don't be afraid. Now, look, we all feel afraid sometimes. I don't mean that you never feel any fear, but there should be sort of a foundational, long-term um, underlying strength because of who the Lord is. We don't have to be ruled by fear. That's what I mean. God loves you. He's with you. Don't be ruled by fear. And this is a key idea that God wants us to understand, not just from this episode. This is woven throughout Scripture. I mean, Jesus said we're going to have trouble in this world. We will experience all manner of hardships and pain. Um, He told us we would, but he also told us not to fear in the face of those troubles. Instead, trust him like Nehemiah did. There's this story in the Gospels that I love. Um, when uh, one day Jesus was walking along and the crowds are coming up to him, I mean, as, as they always did because of the healings and his wisdom. I mean, he was just constantly surrounded by people who were clamoring for his attention. And on one occasion, a, a man came up to Jesus and said, um, my little daughter is dying. Can you please come heal her? And, uh, and Jesus says, yes, like, let's go. And so they start walking. And on the way to the man's house, uh, some people come from his house and say, it's too late. You know, she died. Um, we don't need to bother Jesus anymore. And, you know, it's just a heartbreaking moment. 
this very human moment. And in that moment, just unimaginable pain and confusion, um, Jesus said this in Mark 5, 36. He said, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just trust. You could translate that word believe as trust. Don't be afraid, just trust me. And it, when you keep reading this story, he raises the little girl back to life. Um, now, God doesn't always intervene in our lives in, in, in as immediate of a way or as miraculous of a way. We can't expect that of God. But he is just as present with us as he was with that family, and he cares just as deeply for us. And he says the same thing to you and to me. Don't be afraid, just trust. Don't bow down to fear. I'm with you. That's what Nehemiah was telling his people. Don't be afraid. God is with us. I thought it was really interesting, the question that the ridiculers asked. Uh, can they bring the stones back to life? What they didn't understand of Nehemiah and his people was they weren't just building a city wall. Uh, they, they were rebuilding their relationship with God. And that's something only God can do. That's like, you know, the Holy Spirit's transformative work. And we're not meant to just sit on the rubble of our lives. God is all about restoration and rebuilding and repair and resurrection. So they asked, can they bring these stones back to life? They're just thinking, you know, can they build this wall? But God was doing something much deeper. He was doing a, a spiritual work in his people. And I love that in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the living stone. And in 1 Peter, look what um, Jesus' disciple Peter said. He said, as you come to him, that's Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God is building us as living stones into a home for his spirit. You know, in this um, coming home series we've been in for a few weeks, we've seen the people of Israel rebuild their wall, their temple, their community. It was kind of this emotional, geographical, and relational homecoming. But what we've seen time and time again, and we certainly see it in this story, is that their true home is not merely a city. It wasn't just a, a, a point on the globe. Their true home was the Lord. Their true home is a person. It's with him that they belong, and that is true of us too. God invites us through Christ into his family. And as Peter just said in what we read, we're being built together into a home. And this is possible because of what we're about to celebrate this month. God coming to earth in the flesh on a rescue mission to find us and bring us home. And that's where I kind of land with this coming home series. I think it's a, a very uh, powerful biblical lens that we can put over Christmas as we begin to, to engage our hearts with what this season actually means. Um, so I want to put it up on, here on the screen. Jesus made his home with us so that we could find our home in him. Jesus made his home with us so that we could find our home in him.
Our home is a person, and it's Jesus.